So I I, I did want to um reference uh Clayton Blaha was the first person I saw to point this out, and it's been so, it's been something I'm mulling on. A lot of this um consolidation of the music blogs is just the impacts of what centralized systems do. Like it's uh a big conglomerate owns the company. Um, whether it's Condé Nast or uh, whoever's over Epic Games, I don't know the, the overarching company, but kind of just consolidating and being able to control like whatever they see will benefit their bottom line the most. And I think that that um, like underscores the importance of decentralization in Web3, where these companies and these platforms and creators can really own what they are part of and to keep this decentralized spirit so that no one gets too much power. So, yeah, I think that's a important thing to uh key on welcome to ufo a podcast where artists musicians and tech creators talk about the future a place for revolutionary ideas i'm your host nick hollands and on today's show leo pastel he's a musician songwriter multi-sensory artist and active builder in web3 with a music focus from cincinnati ohio Leo comes from a musical background, it's in his family, and in this episode, he tells stories from experiences in the gospel scene and singing as part of the Sunday service choir with Kanye. He started releasing music in 2018 and has since been involved from the early days in the crypto and music scenes. His first single, Woe, was a hit with almost 750,000 streams to date on Spotify. He's also produced as part of Song Camp and Camp Chaos, among many other things in the space. Many listeners will already recognize Leo from Twitter and Lens and other places. He's super prolific, talking about music online, sharing opportunities in the Web3 space as he experiments and explores new ideas. He also co-hosts a weekly live space, Girl Crash, talking all things music, and I hear that a podcast is also on the way. In this episode, we talk about recent doings in the music industry, thoughts and inspirations for 2024, where do we go from here, from music on the internet. Music NFTs, for whatever reason, have been a hot topic in the US lately, after Flying a Boss withdrew an upcoming NFT mint because their fans were calling for them to cancel it. On-chain music is a controversial and mostly unpopular medium at this moment. NFTs have a reputation problem. Meanwhile, Condenast announced major layoffs at Pitchfork, gutting the editorial staff. It was kind of like a major moment on Twitter. A lot of people who remember Twitter from a long time ago when you know Pitchfork was sort of far more powerful a decade or so ago. So lately people have been thinking about the value of music, how we appraise and experience it culturally, if we're making music and no one's around to listen, critique and write about it, recording it to the zeitgeist, does it make a sound? This was a spur of the moment episode. Leo and I met earlier just a couple of weeks ago and had a great first conversation about music and what we're thinking about for this year. And thought we should get straight into the UFO studios for a podcast. Stay tuned. Let's take a moment to thank our sponsors helping to put UFO on the air. First up, our friends at Zerian. UFO is a podcast that brings together the brightest builders, creators, and founders shaping the cultural side of Web3. And Zerian is the perfect wallet for these active citizens. Zerian combines every corner of Web3 
in a simple and intuitive app for self-custodial humans. Discover the hottest NFT collections, track your DeFi rewards, and vote in DAOs across 10 plus chains. Go check out and install their new browser extension. You can get started at zerion.io. That's Z-E-R-I-O-N dot I-O. Paragraph is where you can create, distribute, and monetize on your own terms. This publishing platform enables creators to mint posts as collectible content and send token-gated newsletters directly to wallet addresses, giving you the tools needed to reach your audiences, grow your communities, and build sustainable businesses with true ownership and connection to your subscribers, no matter if they're on Web 2 or Web 3. From artists to writers, podcasters, and beyond, thousands of creators are growing now on Paragraph, and we are one of them. You can now subscribe to UFO News, a weekly newsletter we are publishing on Paragraph at news.ufo.fm. To join us and get started with these radically powerful tools, visit paragraph.xyz. Lore is a group wallet experience for co-ownership. Own expensive NFTs, move meme coin markets, and win crypto games together. Last month, they helped the meme land community form 100 groups and group stake over 7 million in NFTs. And these meme land groups ended up earning 2 million in the meme, cash sign meme, airdrop. Check out how you could use Lore with your friends to earn more than you could alone at Lore, L-O-R-E, xyz to explore links for leo pastel and his music check out the show notes at ufo.mira.xyz let's join in conversation starting with leo's experiences in music and what he's been producing okay um yes yeah, so i first uh, started in music um around 2017 2018 um i was in a hip-hop collective originally um called Apollo 18 um, with uh, Josiah, Internet Boy, Dale Gold, Grand Ace, um, my friend Kanj and myself. And uh, everyone's gone on to do their their own different things. Um, Internet Boy is producing a lot of, for a lot of dope artists. Josiah was signed and Grand Ace, Dale doing really cool stuff independently. Um, from there, I released my first single, Woe, um, on like all streaming platforms with a good friend of mine, Mwasi. Um, which did well, uh, especially it's it's still my most po- popular drop to date. Um, after that, um, I started like kind of weaving my way into the industry. Um, uh, ended up st- starting a band with some friends in Detroit in 2019 called Hardcore Kids. Um, yeah, with a, with a lot of really cool. It's kind of like a boy band vibe um, with a lot of the cool um, independent artists as well. Um, I did a brief stint with uh, the Sunday Service Choir. Um, they toured through Ohio and um, my family and I being uh, kind of connected in the gospel scene in like Cincinnati and Dayton. Um, we uh, were able to perform uh, with Kanye and the Sunday Service Choir and see uh, what the rehearsals were like. And yeah, it was, it was a really cool experience. Um, uh, 2020 um, kind of caused me to like, pause a little bit i mean i think everyone has a similar experience um uh so i I really spent a lot of time kind of uh head down just working uh developing like new music with my friends and um yeah just working on myself um and that that era ended up lasting 
uh, longer than expected. But 2020, it was significant because it was also the year I found Web3 um, first as um, a metaverse contributor. Um, I, I held a plot of land in the sandbox um, from like $150 and saw the peak up at like $25,000 for the same plot. So quite a ride. Um, and uh, then uh, 2021, I, I realized there's a kind of a music community in Web3. Um, and so I started contributing. I was a member of Headless Chaos, which was a band of 77 artists that released a, a generative music project on chain. Um, I co-founded a group called The Outsider Collective. Um, we released an interactive mixtape player um, on chain, which was the second of its kind. Uh, talk Shout out to Talk Time for the first on chain mixtape player. Um, what else did I do? I worked with Metaverse. Um, they launched an NFT project called MV3, and I, I led a, a virtual band called Morphotones. That was a part of their universe. Um, MV3 was really cool. It was, it was a narrative story written by Jay Mays, Jesse Nixon, who uh, was a writer on Stranger Things and um, is just really like profound, uh, like universe world builder. Um, so I really got to like dive into their universe for that. Um, uh, I also worked with Pixelinks, um, doing some UGC content, uh, just creating like music based stuff. Um, hosted an event with Friends with Benefits in Detroit called Dart Fest. Um, that was in 2022. Um, for last year, 2023, um, I played the opening of NFT NYC. Um, what else did I do? We played at FWB Fest. Um, we played at the Nationals um, Homecoming Festival, which was a really full circle moment for me. They're kind of the biggest city, the biggest band out of my city, Cincinnati. Um, and to be like kind of tapped and recognized by them was a really dope experience. Met some of my favorite musicians from Wise Blood to Snail Mail. Um, so that was a really cool experience. And yeah, uh, also released a song last year, which did really well for me, Oxytocin. Um, and yeah, now I'm, I'm kind of just building that uh, signed my signed a distribution deal last year. Um, and it's it's the first like official like signing situation I've been under. So we're really just mapping out this year. And um, I'm excited to continue uh, working on my independent artist career. Thanks. I, I appreciate that. Like catch up to speed and like the many things that you've been doing. It's actually quite a long time since 2020 at this point mm -hmm. um that is interesting that you're kind of uh, uh onboarding into crypto was happening at the same time it's like the whole world was shutting down and everything and you've you've pretty much like been here throughout and you know within the music community that's here in crypto and web3 as well and like experienced a lot of different parts of it and you mentioned like oxytocin a moment ago as well and i caught like because we caught up and um kind of met properly like last week, I think it was now, maybe early, early this week or something. Um, but yeah, I saw, I saw on Lens, like, uh, there's a performance of Oxytocin from like Song Camp, uh, had put on a thing or something like that. What's that? Like, mm -hmm. is, you know, I come, I, as you know, I come from this kind of like music and events and whatever kind of background mm -hmm. as well, but in a completely different place, like over in Australia, but it's all, it's all kind of relative. So yeah, like, I'm curious to ask about like some, I guess some of the song camp experience and or like FWB Fest and like generally being a member of sort of a music scene, but it's kind of an interesting, very niche layer within the greater music scene. You know, like the people who are into this crypto stuff and and whatnot, various collectives and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, so yeah, about oxytocin, I actually um, so song camp. Uh, is this kind of collective that was founded out of Seed Club, I believe, um, by Matthew Chaim, 
Um, and his idea was to bring together musicians and to release the music and just directly split the funds between everyone who contributes. And I, I think it was born out of some negative negative experiences he had um, in the regular music industry with songwriting camps and writing stuff and having it not get picked up or whatever. So I, I think it was, it was born out of like a, a lack that uh, he saw as an artist. Um, and uh, I started Oxytocin as a member of Headless Chaos, um, which was a cohort of song camp um, with 77 people. Um, and yeah, so we we started the song there, Glass Tempo and I, uh, who's from Manila and now lives in Sydney, Australia, um, which is cool to work with someone from across the planet, which I hadn't done before. Um, and we ended up not using that for uh, the actual song camp release, but I was really drawn to what we had created, like what we had started. Um, so I, I got with him after the camp and we decided to polish it up and release it. Um, and it was really dope experience. But um, yeah, just in general about the the Web3 music scene it feels a lot like how soundcloud did like in 2017 2018 like it's kind of like an underground community like we're throwing raves and like like traveling to all these different cities for the whether it's nft nyc or art basel like like we kind of tour around the country the world even a lot of people going to paris and um yeah so it's 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 cool it's there's like a little underground niche uh community forming that's really has like shared value of decentralization and like power to like independence and yeah so it's it's really cool to to be a part of this little group yeah the music scene within the greater scene that's a trip well i mean um i think i think it was i reached out to you on twitter last week or so but like it definitely be meaning to say hey for a while um you know as everybody's coming back online for this year and everything and um like i think right away that was like the week where there was a bit of, you know, there's a bit of stuff going on in like so-called music NFTs uh, somehow, particularly in the US scene, because there was like a, there was a artist who, or a duo who like were doing a music NFT release, but then took it back because their audience and fans basically demanded them to or weren't. So um, yeah, like what was your take on that whole situation? Because it seemed to kick off a bit of a uh, bit of conversation about what's happening, maybe a bit of realization about like, oh, interesting, like there's this gap here in terms of like so audiences don't want the artists that they're into to try and experiment and do do different things mm-hmm. i thought it was kind of an interesting interesting moment in the early year somehow music nfts were a major point of conversation and now last night mm-hmm. it's like pitchfork has like blown itself up so it's like what better uh-huh. time to talk about music on the internet and media and like what are we doing you know yeah um yeah it was a quite a week um so um, a lot of people know Flying a Boss for uh, their viral TikToks running around in different uh, areas and rapping their song. Um, so they they launched a music a music NFT on Sound XYZ. Um, a lot of people thought it was their first, but um, actually a little bit of research they they actually um, released all throughout 2023, even before uh, their major they had their major song go viral. Um, so it was it was just kind of a continuation of like what they've been experimenting with. Um, but uh, the difference was that this time they had a much larger fan base and a lot more eyes on them. So I think um, uh, it, what it showed me was that NFTs still have this negative uh, perception in the public eye. I think um, with the merge, like in a, a lot of the strides we've made in terms of like environmentalism and um, yeah, and like trying to mitigate scams as much as we can on chain, which is really hard to do. But um, I, I'd assume that optics had like improved in like some way, but 
that just showed me that we're kind of in a similar spot to where we were um, toward the end of like the NFT summer um, when when there was all these PR campaigns against uh, Web3 and blockchain technology. Um, so, yeah, it was it was kind of an eye opening experience. But um, I don't think um, flying to Boston did anything wrong. I don't think um, their label did anything wrong. I think artists should have clearance to experiment um, wherever they want to. And honestly, it's definitely understandable if, if their entire fan base um, had so much uh, hate and vitriol toward the space and was like so misaligned with what they were doing. It makes a lot of sense that they would want to um, pull down the mint and uh, stop it. So, yeah, I definitely understand where they're coming from. I think it just was a wake up call and shows me that we have a lot of work to do. So, yeah, I'm trying to think because there's there's all the, you know, uh, maybe we we call it now. I think we call it like on-chain music is kind of what we're talking about. And like after going through 2023 where, I mean, still on this kind of media media topic as well. So like Pitchfork is kind of this thing has happened. Was it December or something like Bandcamp also had layoffs? So that's a whole bunch of editorial stuff um, that were gone there. And like in general, in media and many creative industries, but like music is interesting, of course, for so many reasons. It feels like perhaps the most immediate art form you know rhythm and harmony and things like there's something that's so human about it right like we experience music to a profound level but then all the kind of crazy economics and technology and culture and all the things that kind of collide with it when you're trying to like release music and or debatably the music industry has been broken for a century or something in in varying ways over time so like it's always an interesting thing to talk about um, but now, yeah, now there's this topic springing up with say the pitchfork thing, for example, of like, you're all, you know, producing music and putting stuff out, but like, it also needs to be listened to and sort of critiqued and thought about. And like, uh, ideally, like people are, you know, resonating or finding their own meanings or being intrigued by its production or its style, like all this kind of stuff. It's like, you know, we need that, that side of things, but it seems like the economics, are broken to run like a music magazine or something like that uh, at this moment in time. Yeah, I think it was, um, there's like a lot of uh, similarities between what happened with uh, Fortnite. Uh, I think it was Epic, or sorry, I just said Fortnite, Bandcamp, which was previously held by Fortnite, Epic Games or whatever, um, selling it to Song Trader. And um, during that sale, a lot of uh, staff was cut. Um, same, similar thing with uh, GQ and the situation with Pitchfork. Condé uh, Nast decided to fold uh, Pitchfork into GQ, and with that, a lot of staff was cut. I think it's just a, um, it's just a consolidation period. Like a lot of these things maybe aren't as profitable. I think um, the blog era ended a while ago, and we're now uh, really um, starkly noticing the effects of people moving more online into more independent uh formats of music discovery um i think tiktok is taking uh making a big uh hit on uh these traditional music discovery um forms so yeah i, th I think we'll we'll see a lot of change like we'll continue to see a lot of this kind of stuff and i hope that um these uh these like kind of i don't know like music journalism spaces i don't know what to what to consider Bandcamp. I, it's kind of just like a platform but i hope that there's still um like room for these these platforms to exist and still contribute to the culture in a significant way so we'll see what happens yeah something i'd heard or someone's take on it was like oh well you know podcasts even live streaming radio and all that kind of stuff has become 
you know, as like people listening to that has gone up massively over the last five or 10 years and everyone's listening to stuff on their phone when they're getting around. So that's interesting. It's kind of that stepped into the space a little bit more rather than some of these like written publication type things uh, in the age of chat GPT as well. <laughs> like it's all getting, it's all getting a bit strange. So I, I, I did want to um, reference uh, Clayton Blaha was the first person I saw to point this out. And it's been, so, it's been something I'm mulling on. A lot of this um, consolidation of the music blogs is just the impacts of what centralized systems do. Like it's uh, a big conglomerate owns the company, um, whether it's Condé Nast or uh, whoever's over Epic Games. I don't know the, the overarching company, but kind of just consolidating and being able to control like whatever they see will benefit their bottom line the most. And I think that that um, like underscores the importance of decentralization in Web3 where these companies and these platforms and creators can really own what they are a part of and to keep this decentralized spirit so that no one gets too much power. So, yeah, I think that's a important thing to uh, key on. To comment on what you're saying there as well, that it's kind of like once again, the the environment that we exist in on the Internet is kind of being changed beyond our own, beyond our control. Um, Twitter has been like that over the last year or more, you know, we're all like prone to the, the social algorithm and, and all that type of stuff. And then you're making this interesting point about, you know, a given publication or company, or even like a whole, you know, film studio or music company is owned by another company that does this and all these sorts of machinations that, that are going on. Um, but on the other side of it, there's like just regular normal people out there who like, you know, need places to be able to like release their music or do stuff and whatnot <laughs> like if all these things that we've built up like soundcloud was a great one um still is great um you know there's still a lot happening on soundcloud of course but it's like we kind of we build these worlds or it's like the users build them this is another thing that crypto talks about of like the users should be getting uh you know rewarded over time or recognized or whatever it is for their contributions to building out the network itself, even if it's just like clout or karma on Reddit or whatever it is, being recognized for what they're bringing uh, to the thing. But most of the platforms that people are, you know, people can't control if Bandcamp suddenly massively changes or the Spotify algorithm changes or all these sorts of, all these sorts of things. So then therefore, because we're here in crypto and experimenting with on-chain media and the sorts of projects that you've been like dabbling with in web3 and in music over the last few years all these collectives and song camp and all this stuff to me just like it's making more and more sense because it's like what do you have left to lose at this point like why not just be creating new things yeah that's a that's a really good point um yeah i think that in the future we'll see continuation of this trend of like just tools for people becoming like the popular place to interface. Like, I think like a company like DistroKid is only gonna grow because they're just providing a space for people to come and release their music rather than doing a bunch of curation on the back end. I think culture is like leaning toward like these like various hyper niche subcultures where people are like digging and finding what they align with naturally rather than these like centralized curated platforms that kind of feed you what they want you to consume. So I think, um, yeah, like SoundCloud is a great example of a company that focuses on that. And um, I think Bandcamp was a great example that hopefully continues to be. So yeah, I hope, uh, I think that we'll see like 
a lot of these independent like kind of tooling. And I also think that fans and traditionally consumers will become um, more creative and more involved in the process than they have uh, previously, especially with the advent of AI tools. Like anyone can really become an expert at something really quickly. So I'm excited to see what uh, happens. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. Looking at, you know, like the internet doing what the internet does, and it just becomes people like digging, self-referencing as you're talking about. It's like culture perpetuates itself like that super niche underground artists connect with each other or all that kind of, and you can kind of stumble into some of these scenes. And of course, various of these scenes will then get, you know, pulled up from and like played on some super prominent like radio DJ set or whatever. Oh, right. So it kind of, it bubbles up and it does come through. But I think this is a really interesting observation because like people like to talk a lot about like who's doing the curating and the whatnot and like Spotify playlists and the only reason this song has a million plays is because it got added to an easy listening playlist and whatever and it's sort of I feel like I can't remember who wrote about this as many like smart people who talk about music on the internet might have been like the interdependence guys uh Matt and Holly Herndon and 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 those guys but talking about like suddenly you can have tracks that like blow up on something like Spotify but as the artist you have no way to reproduce that it was just like a freak thing or it can be whereas so therefore you're not really um in in control uh of of like your own stuff like your own distribution how you're putting stuff out and whatnot whereas like i've I've been talking for way too long in this interlude i'll probably cut it down a bit but essentially like the old ways of like passing records uh, out at the show or out the back of a car or all this type of stuff and the way that like music is traditionally done where now people are like oh i just upload on spotify and my job is done but it's kind of like that's not really necessarily how you develop an audience or be part of like the music scene yeah that's such an issue for um myself and most independent artists nowadays like like you can have a song really go viral like i've, I've had songs get like upwards of two million streams and it's all just kind of insular to the platform that the streams happen on. Like that's what happened with, uh, with Spotify. Like your songs are, the songs are becoming more popular than the artist. Like all of this programmed listening and playlisting. Um, yeah, it just, it just caters toward like song discovery. It doesn't genuinely build toward like a fandom. And, uh, Rob Abelow talks a lot about, um, fandom metrics and, paying attention to these things that actually like hook people into your universe, whether it's like collecting an NFT or um, subscribing to a newsletter, um, something that's a little bit more like tangible and uh, like um, connected than just these passive things such as like listening. And I, I think I also saw a metric that um something near 70% of streams on Spotify are programmed streams, which programmed is like, whether it's the algorithm or a playlist, um, kind of directing the listener to the to the music um so i think that's that just uh, underscores like how majorly um curation and uh yeah, yeah and these kind of like platforms are uh contributing to what we're listening to so yeah and it's funny like that used to be you know back in the 50s or 60s and stuff and like that would be managed and curated by the radio stations that would play the records. Like I think of Chess Records or Sun Records, you know, at the early uh, Elvis label or that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and it, it was like that. So you'd have to kind of get it programmed or 
get it on or all the kind of like gerrymandering that like the managers of the Beatles did to make sure that their records were going number one or all this kind of like, you know, yeah, shenanigans that were going on. Um, Yeah, but now it's just kind of been handed over to to algorithms, which is somehow like more strange than the idea that some guy in his 70s looking tie is being given an envelope with some cash in it, you know? I think the benefit of now is that you can kind of like it's easier to play with the algorithm than to play with these systems that like if you didn't know if someone had a label or like didn't have any connection it was near nearly impossible to break into the industry back then but nowadays we kind of have these formulas of like post a lot of content like da 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 like you know email the right people whatever it is but like there's there's ways to like like communicate with the algorithm and give it what it wants and it it can be a little frustrating at times, but um, it feels like there's a blueprint for how to succeed. Um, whereas before it was like a lot, a lot, a lot harder to break in without having like a patron really bring you into the industry. Yeah, it's interesting too, because like maybe it still happens now, but I know it's a thing where like you're signed by somebody or, you know, and the label's bringing your record through. So you get a video produced, but now you're in debt to your management or to the label to pay for the video and blah, blah, blah. And it kind of spirals like that. Like here's our, here's our marketing thing and all that. But ultimately you're, you're in debt for what it is. But now for like independent artists and for a while, it's like produce your own videos. Like it, it's sort of like the world building uh, and the creation around your music is kind of back to the artist as well, which I think is, is cool. Like it, it doesn't need to be the kind of the major, I guess it was MTV. I'm kind of thinking of like the early and mid 2000s and that kind of, age of music videos and stuff yeah it's be- it's becoming a lot more artist focused um yeah so i i think there's a lot more power in the hands of the fans more than ever and in the hands of the artists um but there's always going to be you know maybe not always but right now there's still this like there's still a game to be played and there's still like certain things to be followed that will help you you know succeed or whatever it is um so yeah i'm 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 curious to ask you about this because I've talked to a few friends about it um, over time and I find it interesting, but like, do you have, have you had much experience with the kind of the reality? Maybe you kind of play with the format, but it's sort of like, it's a known thing that for one thing, short songs can perform better thanks to the algorithm and or there's modes of writing songs now where it's kind of like, make sure the hook is in the first 15 seconds. It's all, it's like really optimizing. So it kind of like changes the the music writing a bit. Like, I don't know, have you, have you experimented or dabbled with this kind of stuff of kind of making stuff that in, in some way kind of matches the format of the internet spaces that you're releasing it into? So I think I'm lucky in that I greatly identify with like the current internet culture. Like I, I myself have ADHD and I like I'm all over the place and I can't sit still for too long. So naturally, I just create really short songs. Um, I create really formulaic, like hook driven songs. Um, So I think that I kind of have just that's just how I've always naturally written. And it's just this like shorter and shorter song meta has just kind of emboldened me to lean into like I used to see it as like a problem. Like I can't sit down and write like three verses and da da da. But now it's kind of becoming like the thing. So I, I kind of just lean into where I naturally resonate. And I, I just generally, I try not to let like outside like trends impact, like what I'm, what I'm creating, what I, I really do want to like connect 
I, I see music as like a spiritual practice and I try to connect with God, which is what I, I think uh, the universe is. Um, I don't know. I think that's the power, but I try to connect with God and just create what I feel like needs to be put on the paper. Like that's, that's really my only focus when I'm writing and when I'm creating. And um, yeah, so that's kind of my answer. Cool and interesting that it's kind of, you're approaching from a, like a, a spiritual lens in production and i you know i vibe with that it makes me think of like the in the creative process you're kind of in that flow state so it is very much about like a, a being a kind of the being present and the kind of the moment of creation and creativity and stuff when you're when you're playing playing with stuff so it's kind of like an interesting moment of connection or something like that yeah my practice requires a lot of humility and a lot of like putting the music before myself and before anything else. And um, yeah, so it's a, it's a lot of like me trying to get out of the way of what wants to flow through me and just allow myself to be a vessel for like this idea that I'm putting on the paper. So that's really what my, what my artistic. I'm curious to ask as well a bit about like your uh, practice or process, I guess, like how you like to produce and whatnot. And potentially we could start with like, uh, we mentioned it briefly earlier, but you kind of your musical background and um, you know experiences in gospel music and and things like that. Yeah, so I um I came up around music um from the age of ten or eleven, maybe twelve, thirteen. I don't freaking remember. But my dad uh, built a studio um, when I was very young, and um so I was always around it. Both of my older siblings were kind of seen as the musicians um growing up. Uh, and um, yeah, so I, I was always around it and familiar with it, but was kind of actively avoiding trying to pursue music as a career just because I have this natural tendency to be like different and I wanted to not follow the same thing as the rest of my family. That was kind of where it was rooted at. But um, once I, I left college in uh, 2017, I was kind of left with not much to do. And um, I decided to pursue music. Um, And yeah, I just kind of fell into it. But um, yeah, I think... um. I, I naturally like I come up in the like the studio scene, like where you're getting a beat and like writing to the beat and then like cutting your vocals. And then like that's that's kind of where I come up. But I'm 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 le now that I have like made some really dope um, instrumentalist friends and some really like cool producer friends. I My favorite way to create is to be like there from the beginning stages of the process um, to be influencing the beat, co-producing. Um, and kind of just working, I like to work with a producer and to create like something from the ground up. That's, that's definitely my favorite way to create. Um, I also am delving into producing my own stuff. I I think it's somewhat of a confidence thing where I, where I just don't feel like it's not ready or I haven't, at least not yet. I haven't made something that on my completely on my own that I'm like fully happy with releasing. And I tend to think like, I have all these friends who are like amazing producers. Why would I out of my own like pride or whatever it is just like be like i, I want to do it by myself and like not use anyone else I, th I i think when that when that time comes it'll come but i'm not like i'm not rushing it i'm i'm kind of just using the resources i have around me and yeah right now i'm working with some really really amazing producers um this is cool and i'd like to ask as well you mentioned before about um performing at fwb fest and kind of with another with a group there as well like what what was that experience like and i guess it was a bit of a continuation of like connections and collaborations you've had with different people 
in this like on-chain music uh, community. Okay, so that was um that was actually solo. Sometimes I'll say we, but it's just like I don't know. Like I think of like pastel as like a community, but it was just the FWB was a solo performance. Um, oh, cool, cool. That was that was really um amazing, um phenomenal. Met Caroline Pokochak, um met Nick Hakim, um that was really cool. Um, but yeah, it was it was awesome. I I got to perform in front of. The friends of benefits community a lot of my friends from the crypto and web3 space came to my set and it was actually i think it was right before a friend of mine set alex purdy so i got to watch her as well um yeah that was a that was a phenomenal experience i've, I've been a contributor to f3b for uh, is it two years is it a year i think two years um so yeah it was cool to like to really um collaborate with them um well i i'd actually hosted a key city event with friends of benefits in detroit um, at the end of 22. So that was kind of that, um, festival was kind of my second, um, thing, like officially working with FWB, but yeah, that was an awesome, uh, time. Uh, as you were saying the other day, when we we're chatting, like Cincinnati, a bit of a, like smaller music city, this kind of vibe. Um, and I'm interested in potentially like your connections in between through to, uh, Detroit as well. And kind of like, even when like your your experiences from from both of these places or i'm also sort of asking in terms of, i'm curious like what those connections might look like yeah so um cincinnati is about three and a half hours from detroit um it's one of the closest major cities to us. it might be the closest like it's it's probably the biggest city that's like within four hours of us um so it's 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 a it's like a cool connection um i relate with those folks just on the Midwestern, like cold in the winter vibe. I don't know. It's, we, there's kind of like this certain um, sensibility that like, and it's also kind of like work, working class, blue collar city that uh, I definitely relate to that vibe. Um, but yeah, Cincinnati um, is definitely, it's a lot different in many ways. And I think one of those ways is that there's not like really a music industry here. There's like a scene, there's an indie music scene and there's like a few disparate, like, producers who are like really um well recognized like dj corbett is one that comes to mind he's like a really popular producer and a solid dolly who contributed to beyonce's last album so there's a few people who are getting credits here and there but we don't really have like a central like industry for music um but in detroit i think that um there is like some major ties to the industry i think with well we so okay there's like a lot i can say about this topic but detroit with their history in motown has kind of made a name for themselves as like a, a center, like a hub for music. And now like a lot of hip hop, like a lot of Detroit style rap. And there's um like a lot of techno, obviously they were like them in Chicago are the birthplace of like house and techno music. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of history that's documented for Detroit. Um, Cincinnati actually has some history, like in the funk and um, Motown, I mean, uh, Soul, uh, the Osley Brothers and Bootsy Collins and uh, Zap and Roger from Dayton. So there is a lot of like history here, but I think um, ours is kind of, we had like this era back in the 70s, 80s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And now it, it kind of hasn't carried through to now. Um, but I am someone who, I'm, I love history and um, I would I would really love to like tap into the energy that exists here. Bootsy Collins is still alive and he has like a music foundation and uh, um, I've been talking to them about some collaborations. And yeah, I'm, I'm definitely trying to uncover this history that is in our city and also bring some soul like back to the city because I think 
we don't really have we don't really have that scene here so that's uh, one of my major goals that's amazing i really dig that um i think a few months ago like i read do you know about this book dilla time like about jay dilla i have actually heard of that yeah i read i read that book and uh highly recommend it like it goes uh, being a history guy like that goes right into music history but also like history of the city and the scene and the whole um the whole thing but also really deep into music theory and like jay diller you know all these eff effectively like the the man who invented new forms of time in music more or less um but yeah it was a super super cool thing and a lot of like a lot of detroit and surrounding uh areas like music history and stuff is like quite mind-blowing yeah i think there um there's this inventive spirit that comes out of the midwest just because we we don't have a lot to do so p these people like are going to a farm and like throwing a freaking like festival and like all their friends are i don't know and like or like um even just our sensibility the way we create is really left of center just because we're kind of like siloed from these like major like city and cultural hubs in america um we we don't really have a lot to do and we we create our own culture and it's it's so different than uh what comes out of the rest of the country i would say so yeah as you were saying before like you've kind of been in in crypto and music for a few for a few years now and like uh yeah curious to, to ask about like your interest in the kind of the web3 social space as well because like we're talking about for artists, like kind of dialing in, maybe you're minting stuff and, and doing all this kind of stuff. But then like Web3 Social is like a whole nother layer over the top. And like, I know you've been um, uh, amongst like the Lens creative community for a while as well. And it'd be cool to ask about like your kind of experiences in that in that space, in that network. Yeah, I think Web3 Social has so much potential. I think just like a layer of, like social interaction that is tied to the blockchain has like a lot of potential. Like I think throughout history, like tying it to the music history, to the music industry, like there haven't been like, like super clear ways to directly connect with fans. And I think having every like transaction or every interaction being like stored on the blockchain provides this like direct way for people to connect with like everyone in their network and to like have a documentation of it um so yeah i think it has so 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 much potential and um uh yeah i'm really yeah i'm super interested to see what it does i think it is early and i think um we're still like massaging out the kinks and how everything's gonna work and i think it'll also just take like a large maybe not large but like a more um fundamental like amount of people like like migrating over to these platforms for it to become like the thing that it really has potential to be so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see that happening. Yeah, I agree with this too. Um, like, I feel like Lens is interesting because even from chatting with their team or like people in that scene, it's like thinking about Lens as a place to kind of share some of your potentially like your behind the scenes or like studio footage or B-sides or alternate mixes or all this kind of stuff. So you can have your kind of uh, more, I can't think of the good word for it, but more official releases like your actual singles and records and stuff and you mint them somewhere or other whatever you're doing release them however you do but i do like the idea of like lens being a place to kind of share a lot of other stuff and kind of like experiment jam collaborate with different people like use it as a bit of a almost like a content outlet um debatably how 
I guess people probably are on TikTok and stuff. I'm not really in that world. Um, but, you know, but I do like I do like the potential for, for things to happen in that space because you can have, you know, independent app like teams, dev teams building like new experiences and whatnot, things to play with. And a lot of the time, like as artists, you can collaborate with those teams to sort of build build what you need, you know? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I've, I've kind of just used Lens as like a, a place to cross post what I'm putting on social media. But I think it does have that, that potential to like, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, to like really build community and like, also like I can, I can just throw up the same video I'm putting on Twitter and maybe someone will buy it for $10 or whatever. And now I'm just making this like little bits of passive income just for doing what I'm already doing. Um, but I, I definitely, um, yeah, I want to see what, what lens and what these web three social platforms like really become. And then I think that'll help me gauge like how they best fit into my community and what I'm trying to build. So yeah, I'm, I'm super looking forward to it. I can't wait for the next version i think it's v3 lens v3 to come out maybe v2 i don't remember i don't know for sure so yeah there's a few there's there's many uh there's many things that we could talk about um but i guess i'm curious to ask about like uh how you're feeling heading into this year or kind of like some things that you're thinking about doing in terms of like your music maybe projects you have in mind like what um you know what are you like hyped and excited about this is a pretty like early year episode so it's kind of maybe fun to ask you about that um yeah so for my personal career i'm a i'm doing a bunch of drops this year um it's my first year under a distribution deal so um i'll have a little bit of support for the first time and there's a few songs i've kind of been holding on to and waiting for the right moment that are going to be coming out because yeah I just, i've just been waiting on the support for them to um have kind of a, a bit of safety net so that i know that they'll land like they really um deserve um so yeah i'm i'm releasing a lot of like really cool stuff this year and i'm excited um um broader than just my own career i've been working with some artists um kind of like in a management role i would say um really like brand development um uh doing some graphic design work um like yeah yeah just kind of managing a few artists not really uh taking a fee or anything right now but just trying to develop my skill set and my portfolio and i really want to uh get more into a space where I'm helping others to like really build their own careers. I get a lot of inspiration from collaboration, like oftentimes more than just working on my own. So I think it's just natural that I I would, uh yeah, start working with other people and helping them to develop uh the things that they want to do. Um, Co-founding a company with a good friend of mine, Girl. Um, Yeah, it's kind of like a creative studio. And yeah, so those are kind of the two things I'm uh, most excited for this year. Godspeed for those things. That's cool to see that kind of branching out uh, and working with others across the scene uh, and everything. I think is cool. And I'm also aware that like you're kind of been dabbling in like uh, like live streams and kind of hangouts and social spaces and all that kind of thing. Like, how's that experience been? I think you've done like quite a few months of this show, right? Yeah. Um. I wish I I wish I had offhand how many months it's been, but I think we've done twenty three maybe 24 episodes of our Twitter space. Um, and it's just been steadily growing um, over the past few months. It's, uh, it's my co-hosts are girl and Jamie Cornelia. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. It's, it's really just, it's not um, specific to any like niche. We really just hold a space for artists and we have a different topic every week. And um, all the topics um, have delved out of like different 
like commu- like conversations we've had or different questions we've had and um as artists and really just I think the uh, we found that places where we find confusion or where we disagree those create the most engaging conversations um so yes yeah, it's, it's been a a place for a lot of growth and refinement and building like a real solid community of people who uh, share values so yeah I'm, I'm really really excited to see uh where this space goes and where we're actually talking about launching a podcast um pretty soon where we kind of just go into the same topics that we're talking about on the space and just syndicating it out and creating like a more uh global network rather than the niche twitter space community we've been, we've been building i think we were talking about this last week but um I dig that because like the Twitter space thing, like when you're actually live with a group of people who are tuned in and kind of reacting and things like that, it's like it's a bit of a different dynamic, different experience than this kind of thing right now. We're like recording on a podcast that'll, that'll go out later and like no one else is here at, at this time. Um, like what uh, I guess like I'm curious to ask about like what kind of benefits you would recognize from within the people who show up in that group and maybe put their hand up and come up and like ask a question or like engage and do all do all this kind of stuff. And it's I, I guess like it's a good way to kind of connect with other artists and musicians and kind of get get looped into what's going on. Some of these conversations. Yeah, there's been um so many benefits. I, the For me, the favorite one has just been kind of the self-development like I I always come away from that space feeling like I learned or like I had some question answered or like I have some like really perspective shifting realization so I, that's been the biggest for me um also just the community that we've been able to to build um in these spaces is like really like eye-opening like even outside of like our our niche community of web3 and music like we'll we'll just have like so many different people coming through and um yeah a lot of people have these like same questions we love to lean in on topics that we we disagree on or that we don't hear a lot of other people talking about so that's definitely been like a major focus for us and i think a lot of people have been drawn to that like spirit of yeah talking about the taboo and talking about these things that aren't like often mentioned um i've made like so many connections in my industry and Jason industries, just the people coming through and sharing their thoughts. So yeah, it's, it's been really cool. Like as we're kind of like coming up to like time on the podcast anyway and, and stuff, but I was curious, like, is there anything, any topics that we really haven't landed on in this conversation that you think are important and maybe we should talk about? The thing I'm thinking about is kind of like, there's not like, people don't recognize how much opportunity there is in crypto for funding and for like incubating ideas. And I think when, if the general public realized that it would draw a lot of people to the space. And um, I've just been thinking about ways to like make the optics of crypto more appealing. And that's like a, a thing that I would love to like, just get out to the universe. Something that would be good to touch on like before we go as well, um, when we talk about these new ideas for like music on the internet, on-chain stuff, all this kind of stuff, like things in the crypto space. But we're also aware that like crypto has a reputation problem. Perhaps the like vast majority of people are outright hostile. So we find ourselves in a <laughs> fairly interesting situation, um, not for the first time. So, but with that, and so like um, the optimism, we love the art contest that's happening right now is a great example uh, of like, extraordinary opportunities for funding and things when we're talking about like you know for artists and musicians and stuff like how to make money online or how to like support their career in creative ways but like yeah like optimism retroactive funding or this like contest right here we love the art 
Um, there's like, uh, you know, many, many, like hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in prizes up for grabs. Um, so yeah, I know this is something that you think about as well. So I'm curious to kind of get your thoughts on the kind of like how, you know, like the opportunities that you do see that are here and your experience as far as ideas of like helping to get the word out somehow. Yeah, I think, um, there's a, there, crypto is a lot. And so it's hard sometimes to distill it into what are the use cases that apply directly to like regular people. Um, and I think a major use case that I think would like draw a lot of people in open eyes would, is just the opportunities for funding, the opportunities for incubating ideas. Um, people here are really like, they have an affinity toward like building and developing new things. So I think um, there's like a lot of funding also being that it's like crypto, it's all a financially based market. So there's just a lot of money flow throughout the entire um, like ecosystem. Um, there's just so many opportunities for grants, um, so many like competitions, like the wheel of the art, my optimism, I think was the biggest art competition that like has ever happened. Um, there's like so many like VC funds that are like specifically focusing on crypto. Um, I've, we've girl and I've been like doing a lot of research. We found like funds that are specifically like funding black people in crypto. So that's like, you know, that's a niche within a niche. Um, and there's just, you know, there's like a lot of, a lot less competition than everywhere else. So yeah, I think that if um, people were to like um, understand how many opportunities there are to fund like their own ideas and it's not all this one monolithic homogenous like mindset that like we kind of have the optics of and it really is so diverse and there's so many ideas and so many different subcultures here. So yeah, that would be something that I would love to uh, get out into the ether and like bring people into the space. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I had a look and like the optimism art contest, it's like over $3 million uh, in total for what will be, I think like a couple hundred winners, something like that split across, but the major prizes are pretty, pretty huge. Um, but that contest is in the judging period now, but you know, we can expect like similar kinds of thing in the future. Um, and it's making me think crypto in general, it's kind of this phenomenon, but like there can be so much benefit to just kind of being early experimenting with stuff and trying stuff out, uh, in this realm. And like, not everything will be for everyone, but potentially there could be some stuff here. And I feel like as a musician, as an artist, sometimes it can be interesting to experiment in the ways that you're getting stuff out. Um, but when you're talking about like, it'd be cool for more people to know, um, do you have any ideas about where they should go potentially, <laughs> you know, like they're starting to get interested about NFTs or bringing their music into the web three space. Like, uh, you know, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a learning, learning process that's involved. Yeah. Um, so selfishly I'll say if someone is interested in the, in the web three music space, I, I really do think we provide one of the best platforms to just connect with people. We provide an open stage where anyone is welcome to come up and chat and ask whatever questions. So um, our Twitter space that we host every week on Fridays at 8 p.m. Um, you can follow me on Pastel ETH. So I, I really I really do think that's one of the best forums to get involved and to really um, find a community. Um, in terms of like finding grants or funding, I would reference a good friend of mine, Natalie Crew. She regularly posts opportunities for grants and micro grants and different funding um crew as in c-r-u-e um i'd also reference ladi day l-a-d-i-d-a-i um she posts a monthly 
thread of different opportunities, not even just within crypto, but within the music industry as a whole. Some of those lean toward crypto, but just opportunities for funding, jobs, um, internships, whatever. So Lottie will be a great person to follow on Twitter um, to find that kind of stuff. So I'll drop various links to many of these things in the show notes and stuff like that so people can find them. Um, but yeah, super nice. I think that's a great, great spot to go out. So I want to give great thanks for taking the time and coming in to record. It's been super, uh, super cool to like jam on music and stuff and looking, looking forward to probably meet in person at some point later this year, uh, but also to hear like the music you're going to be uh, putting out. So all the best, man. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on here. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for this year and hopefully we'll meet FWB Fest or somewhere we'll cross paths this year. So yeah, it's great talking to you. Thank you to Leo for coming on UFO. Links to his socials and latest music projects are in the show notes at ufo.mirror.xyz. Thanks to our sponsors who made this episode possible to get started with Zerian and create your new crypto wallet. Head to zerian.com. Io. To create, distribute, and monetize on your own terms, visit paragraph.xyz. To take a look at Lore, a group wallet and experience for co-ownership, head to lore.xyz. This is Nick Hollins signing off from UFO.